You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. So we've been talking about this idea of staying on course. Basically, what we're talking about is we want to live a life of faith. We want to live a life of trusting God, following God, running hard with God, fulfilling his will all the way through. Not get off track, not fall off the side, not quit. We've been, we've been looking for a few weeks at these verses over in First uh, Timothy. We're going to move on from there today, but this was our foundation verse. First Timothy 1, 18 and 19. It says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, that by following them, you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. And so the idea there is that our faith, our trust in God, our walk with God, it's a broad word in that kind of context, can become hung up, can become shipwrecked to where we get stuck and we and we can't make progress. And and he, he mentioned these two things. And I'd really encourage you, if you haven't been here, to pick up the podcasts of this, especially last week. We really expanded this verse. We dug into what these words mean and expanded this verse tremendously. And and but we talked about the fact that he especially pointed to these two things of holding on to faith. We'll talk more about that today. And then that idea of keeping a good, clean conscience, an innocent heart, a tender heart, not becoming how it's so easy for us to become jaded in life. For us to be, we can, there are a lot of ways that can happen. We can kind of fall into a rut in our walk with God and just not be experiencing the new things that he's doing and saying. We can just kind of get, you know, I think we all have a tendency, some more than others, but we have a tendency to just kind of get into a routine and stay there. And so we can, so we can get, you know, uh, we can get stuck that way or, or we can, an offense can come into our life or something can come into our life that we allow to cause us to harden our hearts, we can become cynical. It's really easy looking around life to become cynical if you don't guard yourself against it. You just, you start to expect the worst. You start to just, you're kind of skeptical of everything and everybody, everything that happens. We see a lot of this in our society today, you know? And part of the reason is because people have been lied to or they have been misled or they've been hurt or they've been wounded yeah, welcome to the human race. I mean, this happens to everybody, but what happens in our heart is up to us. We, you know, we can handle, we can learn to handle those types of things without, we can keep innocence in our hearts. We can, and it's really important that we keep a childlike attitude toward God. We keep some wonder, some awe, some wonder. It's, it's, it's an it's a wonderful thing to have wonder in our hearts about what God's doing. And I think if we're perceiving what he's doing and how good he is over and over, we can keep that. So Paul mentioned those two things specifically as a part of keeping on course and not becoming shipwrecked. Now, I told you to go over to 2 Timothy. So let's go over there. We're going to look at some more verses uh, today that uh, Paul wrote here in the way that he describes 
his walk with God and his ministry and his life since coming to Christ. And the one I have up on your screen is from the Passion Translation. I really liked what the Passion Translation did with this. In this case, it says, Paul, this is at the end of Paul's life. He's in prison. He's writing to some of his friends and co-workers, but it's it's right at the end of his life. He knows he's not going to be here very long. And he's writing to people who were important to him. And he's looking back on his life. And I just love this because when I get to the, toward the end of my life, I want to be able to say this. I want to be able to confidently say what Paul's saying here. He says, I have fought an excellent fight. I have finished my full course with all of my might. That's the point of the race he's talking about. It's not just... I'm getting way ahead of myself. But when he starts talking about running his race, this is is a race, but it's not a race against the other Christians around you. Okay, It's not a competition among us. It It is a race that involves running our course, our full course, not part of our course, our full course, what God brings into our life, what he's doing, what is his plan for your life. Okay, Running that full course with all your might. So not half-hearted, not walking the last half, you know, that kind of thing. Running the full course with all of your heart. He says, I've kept my heart full of faith. That's awesome. There, or this says, there's a crown of righteousness waiting in heaven for me. Really, in the Greek, it says, now, because I've done this, okay, There's a crown of righteousness waiting in heaven for me, and I know that my Lord will reward me on his day of righteous judgment. And this crown is not only waiting for me, but for all who love and long for his unveiling. So just a couple of basic things out of that verse. What Paul's talking about here, he is not saying, now that I have run my full course and I've kept my heart full of faith, now I have earned my salvation. Okay, that's not what Paul's saying. We know from all the rest of his writing, it's not what he believed. There's one way and only one way for us to enter into salvation and eternal life, and that's through making Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. It's a personal choice. I believe that he died on the cross for me. I believe he was raised from the dead. And Jesus, I, I receive you as Lord and, and Savior. I make you Lord and Savior in my life. My life belongs to you. It's praying that prayer. Okay, we all know that, I think. What Paul is saying, he's talking about rewards. And we aren't going there this morning, but if you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he elaborates on this. We have rewards in heaven, and some people have more reward than other rewards. It's not based on just all the good things we can think of to do. It is based on there are rewards for what we do that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, that was what the, what the fruit that we, we bear in our lives, and, and there will be rewards in heaven. It's not about salvation. 1 Corinthians 3 makes it clear. Even the person who has no reward will come through. It's so cool because the type of judgment we will face, see, I'm not going to talk about this today, 1 Corinthians 3, the type of judgment that we face as Christians is different than the type of judgment that an unbeliever faces. We go, at, at the, the term there, the judgment seat that's spoken of there, it is a Greek word that spoke of the, the award stand at the Olympics, where the three people get up there. You know, it's a place where you receive a reward. It's not a place where it's decided whether you go to heaven or not. That was decided the minute you made Jesus the Lord of your life. 
This whole thing, I mean, I was raised with this, you know, that, oh, Peter's standing at the pearly gates and he's sitting there with a book and he's going to tell you whether you get in or not. I think Peter, Paul, all the rest of them are going to be horrified by some of the doctrine. We, I can just see Peter going, Jesus, you know that's not what I said. I know they perverted my word too. Don't worry about it. It's okay. So, so the point is our judgment is going to be one for rewards. And it says that even if we come through without a single reward, we still come through and we still enter into eternity. Okay? But so uh, so that's what Paul's talking about. Is he, he's just saying my the faithfulness. And he's not bragging here. He's just being able to look at his life at the end of it and say, you know what? I have run my race the best that I could. I have done it with my with my whole heart and I've kept my heart full of faith. Those are things that he has done. And so then he's saying, yeah, I'm about to be executed, but you know what? There's a reward for me in heaven. And that's what he's looking towards. And and you can tell that part of the way he has done that, that he has run this race with all of his might and that he has kept his heart full of faith is that last line. He says, this is available to everybody who love and long for his appearing. Or he lived his life toward the kingdom of God. He lived his life toward Christ, knowing that Jesus is coming back. He held on to all that. And that's what motivated him and enabled him to do what he did. Does that make sense? All right. So he says, let's go back. He says, I have fought an excellent fight or I have fought the good fight. This word fought is really interesting because that word, you know how language changes over time. And that word originally spoke of contending for victory in the public games. Contending for victory in the public games. That's what this word was about. And so you think about the public games. That's where we got our Olympics. They had the, the big games. And you think about what goes into that. And, and it's interesting because it's contending for victory, not just going to see if I can finish. Just see if I can muddle through. Okay, so there's an attitude there. There's this attitude that, no, no, I, I'm, I'm running this to win. And he talks about that over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll probably look at those. He says, everybody runs the race. Runs, run as to win, okay? Hold the attitude that, no, I'm going to win. And again, I think it's important when we talk about this, Paul's using this imagery. He uses this a lot. He uses this in a number of places. He talks about wrestling. He talks about these different things, but he uses this imagery of those big public games and the athletes and what they went through to participate in those games and the attitude that they carried. And then they didn't go out there. I mean, why go out there? If you're not, why go through all of that that you have to go through to get there if you're not going to go to win? You know, and you, anyway, it, it's, you get what I'm saying. There's an attitude there. But I mean, that requires, you got to, first of all, you got to have a vision to go and participate in something like that. You got to have, you got to have a vision. You've got to have dedication. You've got to be able to get up and train on days when you don't feel like getting up and training. We've just done little things, little little tiny, for some years, little tiny triathlons, I mean, compared to the stuff that people were doing. And yet, you had to get out and run, bike, or swim. We tried to do two of those every day. And, and you had to do it when you didn't feel like it. You had to get out of bed and get down to the pool at six in the morning. You had to, you know, and for people who are running at the level he's talking about, that takes a lot of training. When I was in Durango 
before most of you were born uh, and working at Mountain Bike Specialist. Ned Overend worked there at that time. And at that time, he was like the leading mountain bike racer in the country, in the world. And uh, he'd sit there. He was a part owner in the company. And so he'd come to work. Ned came to work, which means he sat in the office and maybe answered two calls that day. He didn't do much work, but his face was there. His name was there, and that mattered. But he would sit there, you know, around March or so when the weather started getting good enough to get out and ride again, not so much ice on the streets, and he'd sit there, and he'd gripe, and he'd complain, oh, I don't want to go ride my bike today. Man, I don't want to go ride. But eventually... He'd get his tail up, get out of a seat that could be used by somebody who was going to work, and he, and he would go out and he would ride his bike because he was disciplined. He had a vision. He had a goal. And in order to, to complete that goal, he had to be dedicated to what he was doing. And so he didn't always feel like it, but he would do it anyway. You know. So there are all these various things that go into what Paul's talking about here today, but that word, it, that's what it originally spoke of was contending for victory in the public games and everything goes into that. The word came to mean over time, it came to mean persevering in faith, okay? Persevering in faith through distractions, temptations, and opposition. Distractions. We have to, if we're going to stay on course, run our race with all of our might. We've got to be able to put distractions in in their right place. Distractions are going to happen. Okay, but we've got to be able to keep our primary focus on Jesus, on the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean that we all sit in a corner and and pray all day. It, It means that as I'm out there doing my work, as I am raising my family, as I'm doing the primary thing is what... Where is my relationship with God? And how is it applying to my attitudes, to, my, to the things I do? How is it applying to all of that? How is it implying, applying to me as an employee or an employer? How is it applying to the way I interact in the public square? You know, how is that applying? That's got to be first, because distractions are going to come. Things are going to come to try and pull you out of time with God, to pull you out of the word, pull you out of whatever. Temptations, they come along. We've got to be able to persevere through those. Opposition, you're going to face opposition as a Christian. You know, we love the verse that says, all the promises of God, they're yes and amen for us. We just sang it, didn't we? Yeah, we love it. Well, one of the things Jesus promised is that in the earth we will have trouble, but be of good cheer, okay? We don't have that one on our refrigerator. I bet nobody in here, well, maybe you do if you got the whole verse, but, but we, we kind of, you know, the opposition is going to come. He said, if people receive me, they'll receive you. If they don't receive me, they won't receive you. And that's, that's life, Okay. So if we're going to run to win, if we're going to run with all of our might, we've got to learn to persevere. Want a definition of perseverance? Whether you do or not, I'm giving you one. Perseverance means to be steadfast in your effort. All right? So we're putting out a constant effort. Be steadfast in your effort in any state That doesn't mean state of the union. It means in any condition, any circumstance, any condition, whether good mood, bad mood, 
you know, had coffee this morning, didn't have coffee this morning. I'm going to put out the same effort. I'm going to put out this continuous effort in any state or any pursuit, again, in the face of resistance, difficulty, or even failure. That's a place a lot of us get shipwrecked is when we fail or when somebody fails us. And we let that become our reality instead of getting back up. You know, winners get back up when they fail and they go at it again. They learn something, hopefully, and go at it again. Okay, that's that's the way you make progress. Yes, thank you, dear. To be steadfast in your effort in any state or in any pursuit in the face of resistance, difficulty, or even failure. There are a ton of scriptures that talk to us about endurance and perseverance. And we need them if we're going to stay on course. If we're going to finish this race strong, you know, if we're going to, we're going to fight the good fight. He says, I fought the good fight. It, it means something that is good in quality. It's good in character. It's excellent. So it means although I was in this struggle, it was uh, the other part of that, that definition is it's worthy in the sight of God. This is a to, to contend for our faith, to contend to run our race, to complete the race that the Lord puts us in, okay? To complete that, it's worthy in his sight. That's a worthy effort, which tells me there are efforts that aren't worthy. There are things out there that want to become your course in life, the course you're, you're running in life. They want to take over. They want to redirect you. There are all kinds of things. Again, even kind of, you know, similar to what we talked about the offering, there are all kinds of things in life that are really important, and God knows you need them, but they can't become the reason for your pursuit. This is probably getting two weeks ahead of myself, but one of the things that I've been thinking about as I've been meditating on this is a lot of us are we're out there doing whatever job or whatever, you know, your occupation, or if you're at home doing your thing or raising a family or whatever it is, we're out there doing it. Especially, I think it applies to employment a lot. We're doing it, but it it just it just isn't. There's no satisfaction in it. There's nothing like that. A lot of times, all that has to adjust there may be exactly where you're supposed to be at this point in your life. There may be different things up the road, but it's pro- it may very well be if you're walking with God where you're supposed to be today. It's just adjusting your focus to where you remember every morning. Whatever I'm doing, I'm doing as unto the Lord. I'm doing this. I have interactions with my coworkers. I can serve people through this. I can, and I know because I, I used to have to readjust that myself. I had some of the shabbiest jobs you can imagine in my life that were just, I, but I had to remember in the morning, you know what? I mean, if nothing else, I'd think about, you know what? The first 10% of this day, it belongs to the Lord. It's my tithe. It's my time. And that would just adjust the whole day. But I'm just saying, it's just an attitude. Whatever you are doing, the Bible says, do it with all your heart. Do it as unto the Lord and do it with all your heart. If you'll make that adjustment, you'll all of a sudden find satisfaction in something that was so mundane. But now you're doing it for the Lord. Does that make sense? So maybe that applies to somebody. I know it worked for me over and over. Um, 
So, so he says, I have finished my full course. I just want to give you another piece of this. This word, I think this is incredible. This word finished, uh, it, it actually means to bring something to perfection or to bring it to its utmost conclusion. So he's not just saying, I got across the line in this race, okay? And I want you to think of this race as a time trial, okay? We're not out there competing with one another. Jesus isn't gonna, it isn't gonna be that way on the day of judgment. Oh, well, you did better than this one. So I guess, you know, it doesn't work like that. How are we fulfilling what the Lord is calling on our life? That's the race, okay? That's my course. But this, Paul is saying, I brought this thing to its fullest conclusion. This is the same word, remember when Jesus was on the cross and just before he gave up his spirit, what did he say? It is finished. Same word, same word. Think about that. Paul's saying, I have brought my my course, my life, what the Lord gave me to do, I brought it to the same point of full completion to its utmost extent. Same word that Jesus used about his work for our salvation on the cross. And we know he brought it to to the full. And when you think about Paul's life, it wasn't like Paul never made any mistakes. It wasn't like Paul knew what to do every day. It wasn't, you know, he was a person like the rest of us. And we have, you know, we have the story of his life, but, you know, he spent time in prison. He was beaten. He was, he went through all kinds of stuff in life. But at the end of it, he said, you know what? I've, I've finished my rights. I've fought the good fight. I've been out there running. And I have brought what the Lord gave me to full completion. You're not responsible for what the Lord gives somebody else. You're not responsible for the course somebody else might want you to run. You're only responsible for what the Lord is putting in your life and leading you to do on a day-by-day basis. And so, you know, and then just one last thing on this. He says, you know, he calls this, my race, and other translations bring this out better, the race or my race. This is a specific race. Again, you're not judged on how you finish in comparison to others. You're judged on how you do this. If you're, And Jesus really pointed to faithfulness. Are you just being faithful over what you have now? What he, The revelation he's given you today. Are you just being faithful over that? That's what he's looking for. He's not looking for perfection, okay? Um, so I look at this and I see what Paul says here and I think, okay, how did you do this? How did you find your course? How did you stay on course? How did you do this? So go over with me. We've looked at these verses many times. They're so powerful. Philippians chapter three, we're going to start in verse seven. You guys awake? Good. Philippians chapter three and verse seven. We're going to look at what Paul says here. Not going to dig as deep as we have at times <clears throat> in these, but I think there's some really important things that uh, need to come out today. So the verses ahead of these that we're not going to read, Paul lays out his resume, essentially. He says, I was born into the right family. I was, I'm a Hebrew, okay, I'm, I'm Jewish, so I'm, I was born into the right lineage. I was born into the right family. I've got all those, those check boxes done as far as my place 
in Jewish society. I, I was, he was raised up. He went to the best school. He had the best education. He, was, he had a high position. He was moving up as a young man. He was moving up. It's why he was able to do the wonderful thing of getting, getting uh, papers from the high priest to go start murdering Christians. So here he is. He has an encounter with Jesus, right? He's been out murdering Christians. He had some past to think about. As he walked with God, you know that the devil tried to bring that up over and over and over. You know that he did, just like he tries to bring your past up and my past up. But in the previous verses, Paul lays out the things that were, he calls them, they were a profit to me. They were, they were to my benefit in society. You know, again, it was about family. It was about education. It was about position. It was about uh, all of these things. And those would have put him at the top in his society. And he was well on his way to that when he met Jesus. And then he comes along here in verse 7. He says, but... Whatever was to my profit, whatever would have been a benefit to me, he says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have lost all things. Now, we've studied this before, and many of you probably know that word loss is a word that speaks of valuable things being compared to something else and that there's a priority selection going on here. That same word is used over in the book of Acts when uh, Paul is in, on that ship and they're in a storm and they decide, you know, it, we've got two choices here. We're going to throw our valuable cargo overboard, which is going to cost us a lot of money, money or we are gonna, the ship's going to sink. Okay, so it's a comparison. You know, yeah, this cargo is really valuable. All right, Paul's saying, my education, my place in society, all that stuff, it was really valuable. It was a profit to me. But now I'm comparing it with knowing Christ, with knowing Jesus. Think about that. He's not saying, I'm comparing this with being one of the most famous apostles ever to live. I'm comparing this with being the guy who writes two-thirds of the New Testament. He's not saying any of that. He's just living his life for Christ. And he's saying, you know what the most valuable thing in my life is? It's knowing, it's having a relationship, a living, intimate relationship with Jesus. And he says, now I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm looking at that relationship with Jesus and I'm declaring that all that stuff that would have been profitable to me, that's worthy to be thrown overboard. Okay, do you see? It's just a valuation that he's doing in his life. So he is setting a priority that connecting with Jesus, the relationship with Jesus, is more important than anything else in my life. And that is a huge key to staying on course. Yeah, it was one of the early things the Lord spoke to me, and it has just been one of the primary driving principles of my life and ministry, or, or if I think about, about my life and bearing fruit, or however I want to think about that. The hub of that, the center of that has got to be your relationship with the Lord. Whatever you put out to others, whatever you do that will be empowered by him, whatever will carry the anointing of the Holy Spirit, 
It has to come out of that relationship. That's the center. You can't get focused even on good things or profitable things that are out here where the rubber meets the road, okay? They aren't, those things are, they're the product of that generator that is the relationship with Jesus. Otherwise, if you're ministering to people and you're not keeping that relationship alive and making it the center and whatever goes on there is what you have to give out to people. If you're not doing it that way, you're gonna be giving people religion and not life just the way it is. You can tell them all kinds of good things to do, but it won't be anointed unless you keep that relationship at the center. And that's what he's talking about here. When he he says knowing Christ, that word knowing means intimate relationship. Okay, he's not talking about knowing about Christ. He's not talking about being able to pass the test or make a list or know all of his Bible school lessons. He's talking about relationship with Jesus. And I'm looking at all this stuff that was so valuable in my life. And I'm looking at knowing Jesus. And I'm saying, you know what? All that other stuff, it could be thrown overboard. Now, I always make the point when we talk about this, he didn't throw everything overboard. He just decided it could be thrown overboard. He used his education while he was ministering the gospel. His, his, what he knew of the Old Testament came into play because it was in the right place, okay? He used it. He used his Roman citizenship when they were about to beat him. He, he used his Roman citizenship. He didn't throw it out. He didn't tear up his passport, okay? He just said he, he adopted the attitude, there's nothing else in life. And you know what? That includes your marriage, that includes your family, that includes everything else. Those things will only be healthy. You will only be a really healthy parent for your kids if you keep the relationship with Jesus at the center. You're only going to be just the, the best employer, employee, whatever it is that you could be if you keep, at least in God's eyes, okay, people would have People would have valued this the other way. Your education is more important, Paul, than this thing with Jesus, right? Right? People would value it the other way. It's the same thing for us. But if you want to have the life of God flowing out of your life and you want to get to the end of your life and say, you know what? I ran my race and I fought the good fight. If you want to be able to say that, this is such a key. You've got to prioritize and keep the relationship with Jesus at the center. And we can do relationship. I can't be the nicest person in the world. I can't figure out how to talk to everybody. I can't, I, there's so many things, many more that I can't do than that I can do, but I'm built for relationship. And besides, Jesus takes the lead. If I just take the attitude, if I just make the priority, is this, is this ministering to you? Okay. So Paul said, I now, now, this is different. Now I consider all that stuff as lost, worthy to be thrown overboard for the sake of Christ. I consider everything. There's nothing more important, okay, than knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The Amplified says the priceless privilege of knowing Christ, okay? And, and then he says, I consider them, the other things, I consider them rubbish. That actually means sewage or whatever word you want to put there. That's what it actually means. We just won't translate it that way into English because it's the Bible. Okay. 
that I may gain Christ and be found. Here's how I want to be known. I don't want to be known by my education. I don't want to be known by my family name anymore. I don't want to be known by any of those things. I want to be found or known in him. Not having righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. So I want, if people are going to know me somehow, and they're going to appreciate something about me. I want it to be coming out of that relationship with Christ. Okay, I want it to be the position that I have in him. All right, does that make sense to you? Okay, so again, this isn't an either or situation. Either you can have a good education or you can be a Christian. Either you can build a business or you can be a Christian. Either you can, it isn't that. It's a priority selection. It is deciding what your what a value it's it's values what do i what do i value the most everything that he had came into submission to christ and then christ was able to use it in his ministry okay going on he says i want so here's here's my goal okay i'm going to run this track here's the finish line here's my goal all right i want to know christ and the power of his resurrection His resurrection life is available to us, not just going to heaven, but his resurrection life, bringing healing, bringing strength, bringing deliverance to others. His resurrection life is available to us. He says, I want to know Christ. This is my my focus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain from the resurrection of the dead. He's saying, look, these these three things go together. Knowing him, knowing the power of his resurrection, and sometimes knowing the same things he suffered. He suffered persecution. He suffered rejection. I'm willing to take all of those so that I can experience that resurrection life. All right, so he's establishing a vision for running running that race. Let's move on. Okay, I know there's some things you need to pray over today, so let's move on. Uh, So beginning in verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained all this. I love that. So he's saying, I haven't arrived yet or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That's really strong language. Don't have time to go into all of it, but the press on part means I am chasing something down in my life. It is, you know, I've always used the example of when when you watch football and one of those guys is running to tackle somebody. I mean, they're powering forward with all of their might to take hold of somebody and pull them down. That's the picture here in Press On. Paul says, I press on. This is not, you know, uh, this is not, Christianity is not a spectator sport. Christianity is not uh, a passive Oh, I gave my life to Jesus and now I'll just live my life. It's not the way these guys describe it. Paul's saying, I am pressing on. I'm running forward with all my might to take hold of and make my own. The word is apprehend, okay? You know what apprehend means, don't you? Apprehend, okay? Apprehend, take it down, put it in cuffs, shove it in the back of the car. That's the word he's talking about here. Everything that Jesus took hold, same word. 
Everything that Jesus, think of the price he paid, took hold of me to give me, I'm going to take hold of that stuff. So it isn't just, oh, la-di-da, everything will just happen in my life. Whatever happens, it must be God. (laughs) I can't say it that way. That's not true. Okay, that's a false statement. Let's say it that way. That was a close one. (laughs) Sometimes this stuff just, you know, it's like, Stop thinking that stuff, you know? Stop thinking that we're just mamby-pambying through this life. You're going to have opposition. You're going to have stuff. You want to get to the end of the course. Get on it. Go after real. Look at, <laughs> look at the promises of God and say, you know what? That belongs to me. And devil, you're not going to steal it. Distraction, you're not going to steal it. You know, this loss that happened in my life, this offense I have, it's not worth it. It's not going to steal it, Okay. All right, so he says, brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Here's where I know we need to pray over this today. But one thing I do, he makes, it sounds like two things, but he says, this is one thing. And I do it, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. I press on, there we are again, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And again, the prize isn't salvation. You already have salvation. The prize is I'm not straining toward acceptance with God. I have that. You have that because of what Jesus did. The prize is getting through this life on course, doing what God sets before you. And whether it looks best, stop comparing yourself with other people. It, the, whoa, whoa, what they're doing, God probably really appreciates that. But I'm no, whatever he has given you to do is what you are responsible for. And your part in this whole plan is just as important as everybody else's part. Your part in this uh this generation that we live in and this society we live in, it's just as important as everybody else's part. I know we can't always see it. You just got to know that the Lord knows what he's doing in setting his people in place. But he says, forgetting what is behind, straining forward to what is ahead. All right, I press on toward the goal. So here's what Paul has done here. He has set a boundary in his life for how much influence his past will be allowed to have, forgetting what's behind. Successes and failures. Doesn't mean you can't learn lessons and carry those forward with you. That's not the idea. But he's saying, I'm not going to let my past rise up again and again and either, uh, one of several things, stop me or pull me back into my past Or remind me of who I used to be to the point where I no longer strain forward. I feel too unworthy to go forward. I'm not going to let my past try to redefine my present in Christ or the future he has for me. Does that make sense to you? Okay. He says, one thing I do. That's just such a powerful statement. Forget what's behind and strain forward to what's ahead. Okay. Now, there are some things we need to do with what's behind. If we are, you know, there are things we need to repent of, to leave behind. There are other things we just need to to just box them up, leave them behind. Admit to them. I've got things in my past. When I was a kid, especially, there were things I did. I, I have a list. I I have just stupid things, okay? 
I did a lot of stupid things. I thought of another one the other day I'll have to share with you, Zach. You'll enjoy it. It involved the police. Uh, I did I, I did a lot of just dumb things. But there were the other things I did that were they were hurtful to people or they were, you know, they were they were bad. I regret those. But you know what? I know and I have received the forgiveness for those things. And I will walk in that forgiveness. I'm not that person anymore. Wish I hadn't done it, but I did. I don't hide it. I don't pretend it didn't happen. I had, you know, a guy from my old high school class one time on, I put up some scriptures or something on Facebook and he said, oh, you know, if your congregation just knew who you were, I said, they do. I talk about it all the time. I'm not, I'm not, I don't live in shame. I won't allow it. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm kind of yelling. I won't allow it. It's like worry. It's totally destructive. It does no good. Shame is not what God has for us. If there, but if there's something I need to deal with, I've gone to the Lord and said, man, I'm really sorry I did that. That was really lousy. Thank you so much for loving me anyway and bringing me forward from there. But I won't let those things try to define who I am today. It's not who I am today. And you got to be convinced of that. That's why I know people get mad at me every time I say this. It's not a good idea to stand up every week and say you're something you used to be that you're not anymore, whether that's an alcoholic or a drug addict or a, a whatever it might be for you. If you can get help from a group, that's wonderful, but it's not healthy to keep identifying with something that is no longer you. You're a new creature in Christ. You've been born again. You were born again. Okay? I was born again. All right. So Paul deprives all of that stuff of its right to rule his future. Okay, he makes this a foundational principle of my life. I'm going to forget what's behind, going forward to what's ahead. All right. And in so doing, he eliminates the devil's power to influence his course through accusation, condemnation, and shame. Okay. If we don't limit the influence of our past, our past will become our future, okay? You're going to run in circles, all right? We address our past by declaring our present position in Christ. We do whatever we need to do with the Lord, you know, ask forgiveness, but then receive the forgiveness because it is given to you. But then when that comes up in your head or from somebody else, you declare what the Bible says about you today. You say, no, I am a new creature in Christ. That's, yeah, I regret that. But that's not who I am. And it's not who I will be. And it will not hold me back, slow me down, or keep me from pressing forward, from straining forward. Just read this verse, and I'm going to pray with you. All of us who are mature should take this view of things. All of us, this maturity equals forgetting what is behind and pressing forward to what is ahead, and making the relationship with Jesus the very center of our life, okay? If on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only, here's what we do day to day, live up to what we've already attained. The Lord isn't asking you to, to live up to things he hasn't even revealed to you yet. So here's what I want to pray with you in here today, with those that might be watching or those that see this later, there are a few things the Lord gave me. Yeah, and if you could come up and... 
Some of you are struggling with voices of regret. Okay? Comes up again and again and again. And that voice of regret needs to be silenced. I want to pray over that today. But when that voice comes up in your life, you are going to have to rebuke that voice. You are going to have to tell that voice who you are today and declare the word of God into that voice or that regret will hold you back or shipwreck your faith. Okay, so voices of regret. Associations that draw you back into places you no longer want to be. This is a, it's, it's, it feels like a tricky one because these are people we might care about. These are associations or people, friends, all right, enemies, uh, you know, people, relationships. But if they're pulling you back over and over into a place that you shouldn't be, you need wisdom from God to sever that relationship. You need to get extracted from that relationship. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes it has to be pretty harsh but it may need to be thrown overboard and that's pretty harsh, okay? But we don't always have to be ugly about that. Sometimes God can really give us wisdom on how to do that, but you've got to be the one who decides, you know what, this is an unhealthy association and it keeps pulling me back into stuff I don't want to do anymore, places I don't want to be anymore. Well, you've got to, and I want to pray with you about that today. And then the third one is voices of condemnation and accusation. Okay, so they come along like this, like this guy online. Uh, for me, you know, oh, you call yourself a Christian, but I know what you used to be. And in their mind, you've never changed. And they may not understand that you've changed. Their reality is you're still the same. That doesn't have to be your reality. They want to anchor you to your past. Those are voices you need to separate yourself from. And you need to be able to silence those voices. You've got to, those last two are something where you need to extract yourself from those relationships. And I know as I'm saying this, the Lord has already said this to some of you. You've got to sever this relationship. It's really important that you obey that. He'll show you how to do it, but you've got to do it. Okay? You've got to do it. So let's just stand up and pray. I think probably some of this applies to all of us from time to time. So let's just stand up and and pray over these things today. And if one of these specifically is you, then I just ask you right now as we pray together, just pull on the Holy Spirit. Just receive what he's doing in you this morning. So Father, we come before you knowing that you love us. Lord, that we have your love and your favor in our lives. We come before you knowing that we are new creations in Christ. And Lord, I first of all pray that every one of us are determined, Lord, to forget what is behind and press forward into what is ahead. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, over those voices of regret that would rise up, especially I just feel like praying it this way in the middle of the night, Lord, those voices of regret come to try and hold us back. And right now we say in the name of Jesus, be silenced. Be silenced. You are in the past. You are not my present. You are not my future. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Be silenced. I will no longer give myself to listening to that voice. I will silence it and I will declare who I am today, who God has told me that I am. And Father, I just pray over those associations that would try to pull people back. Whoever's struggling with associations, with friendships, old friendships, old whatever, 
Lord, that would try to pull them back to places they don't want to be. Lord, I thank you for wisdom and I thank you for courage, for wisdom and for courage to sever those relationships. And in the name of Jesus, Lord, I just pray over those voices that come from that, those voices of accusation, those voices that say, oh, I knew you when, those voices that say this or that. I say in the name of Jesus, you will no longer have the power to influence that heart or those hearts. You, you, there is no sting with you in you anymore. Even if that voice is heard, it will fall flat because of a great revelation of who this person is today in the Lord, that our present identity far outweighs anything else, far outweighs our past. And Lord, I just pray for us as a congregation, Lord, this would be our heart. Lord, to forget those things which are behind, to strain forward to what is ahead, to finish our course, Lord, the one you've given to us, to fight whatever good fight we have to fight. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for it. I thank you for the freedom that comes today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's give God a clap. Thank you, Lord. God, you're good. All right. I kept you over again, but I don't apologize. All right, let's say this on the count of three. I feel like I'm forgetting something. Don't know what it is. That's what forgetting is all about. So one, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Go out there and be the church. for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.